As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. You're never going to know exactly what's going to happen, but if, if a door opens itself up and you get to walk through there, take that chance because that door might close and it might not open up ever again, even if you're working for free. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, you know Patch of Land, they've been on the show, representatives of their company have been on the show many times, they've been a sponsor of this show many, many times, they're back for more because they love you. And they love working with the best ever listeners. And they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates. And that is that it's the interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best uh, lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and they've got a white paper for you and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we're doing follow along Friday. This is a special week. We got our conference in Denver this week. And if you're listening to this on Friday, then I am currently in Denver along with Theo and Grant and Samantha and the rest of the team. Frank is there as well. So we are enjoying our conference in Denver right now if you're listening to this on Friday. If you're listening to it or watching it via Facebook Live, then how you doing? 
and hope you're enjoying your week and you have a great week. What are we going to do today on Follow Along Friday? So today we're going to answer a listener's question that was submitted by Jim. And he had a couple of questions in response to our newsletter we sent out two weeks ago. And he was asking about structuring apartment syndication partnerships. So his exact question, I'll read through it and then we can answer it. He said, Joe, I've heard you mention many times in your podcast, find an experienced partner, person to partner with on your first syndication in order to gain experience and credibility. My question to you is, how much of the deal should I expect to give up to accomplish this? What might it look like? Can you describe other payment equity structures that a prospective partner, mentor, key principal might want? The amount that you get should be directly proportionate to what you actually bring, the value you bring to the deal. I don't know what you should expect to give up or get because I don't know what you're bringing. So I can go through some scenarios though. Let's see. One scenario is if you have a deal and you don't have any money, then you aren't in the best position to negotiate because assuming that it's a deal that requires significant capital, you're not going to be able to do anything unless you find the money. And when I say you have a deal, let's qualify that a little bit more. If it is an off-market deal that you have it under contract. Now, if it's not under contract, then you have an agreed upon LOI. That's the next best. And then the one down below under have it agreed upon LOI would be you have a great relationship with an owner and he or she has given you an opportunity to buy the property or wants you to buy the property. There's more work involved on your partner that you're bringing in because they're going to have to negotiate things. And quite frankly, when someone comes to me with a deal, I'd rather them have the relationship with the owner and it be off market, meaning no brokers involved versus them having it under contract. Because if it's under contract, then I can almost guarantee there are terms in there that I wouldn't want in there. So the ideal scenario, because I always like to talk about the ideal scenario, the ideal scenario is that if you're bringing the deal, that's your part of the equation, then you have an inside track with a solid relationship with an owner and you don't have the money. So if that's the case, then, well, the portion that you give up, first off, I wouldn't think about what are you giving up. I would think about what are you getting for your efforts. Because when I think about what am I giving up, I feel a little deflated. But when I think about what am I getting, then it's more empowering and more positive. And the reason why that is important is because you're going to be giving up a whole lot if you don't have anything but a relationship with a seller. And by the way, I recommend getting a NDA non-disclosure agreement signed by whoever you approach to potentially partner that way if anything shady goes on and they try to get it out from under you which likely won't happen but you want to protect yourself then you're protected in theory at least so what you could receive for that transaction with your partner who is now let's talk about what they're bringing they're bringing all of the money 
And if you don't have the money, then you likely don't have the balance sheet. So they're bringing the balance sheet to get approved for the loan. And if you don't have the balance sheet or the money, I'm guessing that you don't have the experience that is required either to be approved by the lender. So they're also bringing the experience. Well, if it is for the general partnership, what you would receive, you might receive the equivalent of 50 to 75, maybe $100,000. And depending on the size of the deal, if this is a 150 plus unit deal, maybe 75,000. If it's, I don't know, 250 units, 300 units, then maybe 100,000. If it's less than that, then it just maybe 10,000 to 25 to 50,000. Just depends on the deal. And you might think, oh, that doesn't sound very appealing. Well, first off, what you could do is look at the projected profits on the deal with the person who you're partnering with. And then instead of receiving that fee at closing, get the equivalent of that or maybe 15% higher than what you would get at closing because you're actually putting your equity back in the deal to retain ownership of it. And you get additional 15% on top of that for you not receiving it at closing, but rather putting it in. So you get a little bit of premium for putting your money in the deal rather than taking money out of the deal. And that helps build your track record because ultimately it's all about building your track record and getting experience versus what will you give up for the deal. So the short answer is 25 to hundred K in that scenario. I suggest investing that back into the deal. If you need some money, food, water, shelter thing, then don't put all the money in the deal, put a percentage of it and then take some money out and feed your family and do whatever you need to do. But I do recommend staying in the deal. And by the way, real estate deals, the beauty of them, you can make them however you want, right? You're only limited by creativity and what the market will bear. So if you can get a better deal than what I just said, two thumbs up, more power to you. I'm just telling you what I would likely compensate someone who came to me and said, hey, I've got this relationship with the seller, off market, no brokers involved, 150 units. To me, that's worth 50, maybe 75K. And I would pay them at closing, ideally. But if they wanted to be in the deal, we could talk about that too. But it would be the approximately the equivalent of whatever that fee is. That's one scenario. Would a scenario like this ever happen? So I find a deal in everything you just said, but I also have a list of potential private money investors who I need and I need to bring on someone who has the experience that I can sell to my investor. Say, hey, I found this deal. We have a personal relationship, but I also have this mentor advisor who currently controls 3,000 units and has completed 10 syndications. That person is not going to be bringing any money. They're just going to be using their reputation to sell to the private investors. Would that be a little bit different than the scenario you just went over? Oh, sure. I think that is unlikely to move the needle with investors because in that scenario, the, we'll call it consultant in that scenario, is not aligned with the deal. But if you were to just take it one step further, and perhaps you were implying this and I didn't pick up on it, and have that consultant then be in on the deal with his or her own money, then 
100%, that is a nice pickup and shows alignment. So I would say if you have a deal and you have some investors, but you don't have the experience, well, you have gotten 75% of the way there. So congratulations on that. I suggest one way of doing that is simply partnering with the management company that you're going to be working with. Mm -hmm. And I've done that before multiple times. And when you do that, you show alignment of interest with the on the ground team. And then if you don't have that track record, which I did not at the time, it allows you to leverage someone else's track record and their experience. And in that scenario, there's so many different permutations of how you could structure this. It's impossible to go through all the scenarios. I'll just give another scenario where maybe you don't have the track record, but you have some money and you can sign on the loan, but your balance sheet isn't going to get you approved. So you're helping out on the liquidity, but you're not there, not anywhere close, but you're helping and you're helping out with the money raise and you have the deal, then you could do a deal where the, we'll call this, in this case, the property management company, they get 15, 20% of the deal, but it just depends on how much equity they're bringing. So really it's a case by case basis based on what all you're bringing. So when you're thinking through this stuff, that's the thing you got to think through. What am I bringing to the table and what's required? And then what do I need from others? And then what's the market rate for that? So if the question were more specific about I'm bringing XYZ and I need XYZ, then it'd be an easier answer. But since it was a little bit more broad, then these are some scenarios that could play out based on different examples. Okay. And I think a natural follow-up question to Jim's question is how do you actually find this individual to partner with? And I just wanted to mention that we wrote a blog post and we did a Fallong Friday four months ago on September 28th, 2017. I don't have the exact episode number. Ah, uh, you have the episode number? On YouTube, it's called The Only Way to Find a Real Estate Mentor. And obviously, this is in the context of finding a mentor. But we mentioned in that episode in that blog post that the only way to find a qualified partner is through referrals. So, you know, through things like meetups you're going to, podcasts you're listening to, conferences you're going to. So if you want to find a partner who's qualified, you want to have them referred through someone that you have yourself already qualified by also obviously doing some sort of interview with them to qualify them yourself, but just to know that they know what they're talking about and they know what they're doing based off of your relationship with the person who referred them. Episode 1,123, there's how you find that person. And then you also touched on this, but it's all about having an outcome in mind before going to them. So knowing exactly what you're going to offer them and what you need in return when you're going to them, instead of kind of having a vague proposal, saying, hey, sometime in the future, I plan on having a deal. And depending on the situation, I might be able to give you a certain amount of money. But instead of having it specific and having a quantifiable outcome before going to this person, I think that also applies here. And then... I think something else that also probably applies in this situation too is what not to expect, which is someone not being a knight in shining armor and expecting this person to kind of carry you through the entire deal and doing everything for you. Because if that's the case, then even though you're getting credibility and experience, you're not actually going to know what to do. If you want to go out on your own in the future because they're doing everything for you. And so the goal is, is if they are going to be guiding you in any way, 
that they provide you with a do-it-yourself system as opposed to a do-it-for-you system. Yeah, exactly. We talked about lottery winners, right? <laughs> exactly. What, what, what happens to most lottery winners three, four years after they win the lottery? All that money's gone or they're sometimes they're dead. Yeah, yeah. They're either dead or they have less money than they had before they won the lottery. Yeah. They have a lot of fun for three years. So give them that. <laughs> they go all out for three years. That's yeah, so there you go. Uh, that, that's, uh, you know, if you're looking for a short-term thing, then, then that's the way to approach it. Cool. Awesome. So, so Jim, we, we got that question. In the last comment, another episode to listen to is 1,112. It's with Carlos Vaz. The reason why that's an episode to listen to is because Carlos came from another country to Dallas-Fort Worth. He did not have many connections, if I'm remembering the story correctly. He found a deal, and he reached out to local owners in the area around the deal, and he gave up from his description basically the whole deal, but he was still in the deal. And he had the mentality of, I just want to get in the deal. I don't care what I give up. It's about just a little I get into the deal. And then I'm going to build from there. And that's the same approach I have. That's the same approach I had starting out. I didn't really care about how much I made or if I made anything. It was more about taking care of the investors and getting the deal done. And then I knew based on resourcefulness and when you give me an inch, I take a mile just with my approach. I knew once I got in the door, I would do well and it'd be a good career. So I suggest having the same approach. Do what you need to do to get the deal done. If you have money, bring some capital. If you've got access to deals, go do that. If you're a good underwriter, then offer your services up. And we have an article. It's called Six Ways to Break into Multifamily Syndication. Mm -hmm. So if you just search Six Ways to Break into Multifamily Syndication, then that would be a way to think creatively about what you can bring to deals. It doesn't talk about specifically what you get for it, but just make sure that you get ownership in the deal. That's all that really matters. Some sort of ownership in the deal, and that way you can build your track record and go from there. Yeah, well, what you just mentioned reminded me of one of the self-sabotaging behaviors we outlined in that Facebook post and then the more detailed blog post titled 22 Self-Sabotaging Habits That Lead to Entrepreneurial Extinction. And one of them was don't trip over dollars to pick up pennies. Yeah. So it's kind of like if you're just starting out and you find a deal and you have someone who's willing to partner with you, whether it's you leveraging their expertise or them bringing money, don't become so hyper-focused on structuring the partnership in such a way that you make enough money to satisfy your needs in that exact moment. At the same time, sacrificing long-term growth by potentially you might not get the deal or that person might be like, all right, well, I thought you wanted my help but it seems like you are more focused on making money than actually doing the deal. So I'm not going to do this. So I think that's another habit or a self-sabotaging habit that could apply to the situation too. Yep. And I kind of also agree with you about depending on where you're at in your life, especially if you're really young, just offering up your services to someone who's doing what you want to do for free and kind of just knowing that you're going to be resourceful enough to kind of figure it out and not having to have the exact plan set out of exactly, okay, I'm going to work for free for six months, and then I'm going to get paid this much after six months, and then in a year from now, we're going to be business partners worth billions of dollars. 
you're never going to know exactly what's going to happen. But if, if a door opens itself up and you get to walk through there, take that chance because that door might close and it might not open up ever again, even if you're working for free. Yep. Agreed. All right. So moving on to our updates and observation, you were holding out on me a little bit with your family mastermind group. So I'm looking forward to hearing about this to see if it's something I can apply to my life. <laughs> yeah. Only a sister and two brothers allowed and significant others. So here's a tip that will be helpful for anyone who has brothers, sisters, cousins, who you think you can learn something from. My sister came up with this idea. So I have one sister, two brothers, I'm the youngest. They're 8, 10, and 12 years older than me. So I was a miracle or a mistake, whichever way you want to look at it. And my sister is a real estate agent, very successful real estate agent in the Fort Worth area. And she's involved in a mastermind group she pays money for. And I have a life coach, business coach. And she said, we pay other people to consult us and that still should continue but what about if we take the lessons we're learning in our own businesses and have a mastermind? I said, that's great. So my sister is doing it with me. My brother, he went to West Point. He's a lieutenant colonel in the army. He's in South Korea right now. So when he gets back next month, he's going to start joining. Then my other brother, he's got his own company. He's joining too. So it's my siblings. But the point is, if you don't have brothers or sisters or you don't have the type of relationship with them that this would work with, then think about cousins or think about friends or think about neighbors. It really could be any grouping of individuals that you're really close to. And here's the structure that we use. And by the way, we've had one mastermind meeting. We're doing it monthly. So I'm by no means have optimized this. But it really worked well on the first mastermind. So the flow is as follows. It's a 30-minute call once a month. And each person has a certain amount of time to go through three things. So I'll say the three things. One is you state or restate what your business goal is you're focused on accomplishing. So to remind everyone of what you're doing or for the first call, tell everyone your business goal you're focused on accomplishing. Two is share one thing you learned since the last time that you all met that can be helpful for others in the group. So if it's the first time, then just share something that you learned. Or if it's the second, third, whatever, then something from the last month. And this is important because this is where you give back. This is the give back component. So you're consciously thinking about, okay, what did I learn since the last time? And then what will be helpful for them? So that's the second thing is to give back. And then the third, time permitting, mention a challenge that you have. And if any group members have suggestions or comments, they offer it up. So it's a 30-minute call. And what we do is on the last call, it was my brother, my sister, and I, because my other brother is in South Korea, so he couldn't join. So it was three of us. And we simply divided 29 minutes, even though it's a 30-minute call, there's always a minute of, hi, how are you, blah, blah, blah. So 29 minutes divided by three, three people, and that's how much time each of us had. And at the end of your thing, after you go through the three things, there's a timer. I'm the one timing it. And then it's like an alarm and it goes off. And then that means that person is, oh, that's done. And then we got to move on to the next person. So it's very quick. That way the calls don't go from 29 minutes to 49 minutes. It's no, 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 no. We got these three things. There's a timer. When we hear the timer go off, maybe set the timer. 
30 seconds before the person is wrapping up. That way there's a warning. And then that's the mastermind. As simple as that. And I know that it will be beneficial. It already was beneficial because my sister's being trained. I forget. I interviewed him on the podcast. He's a big time real estate agent trainer. Oh, Ferry. Tom Ferry? Something Ferry. And anyway, she's being trained through his organization. So she's getting some good stuff. And she mentioned some things on our call about my goals and what I was doing that was really helpful. So that's a suggestion. And it's better than attending some random meetup because this holds you more accountable. It focuses you on other people, but then also help makes you self-reflect on what you've been doing. And then you can get some suggestions along the way. And they know you so much more that they know what you're good at and what you're not good at. And since they know you on that personal level, I'm sure they could provide a better, higher quality advice than someone who just doesn't really know you. And you got to spend the first 20 minutes just introducing yourself and telling them what it is exactly you do. So Yeah, that's true. The pros and cons to that, as with all things in life, and say you're doing it with neighbors, like three or four people who live in your building or whatever then perhaps there needs to be a call before the first call and be like, okay, here's what I do. That way people have context going into mm-hmm. it. But I recommend doing that structure. So it's really quick because I hate meetings. I would think most people hate meetings except for people who aren't productive and don't have a vision for where they want to take their life. And if I hear, oh, let's do a meeting, I'm like, Ugh, I don't know about that. But if we know there's a certain structure to it, and it's 29 minutes, and here we go, let's rock and roll, then I I like that stuff. Yeah, that's a good idea. Everyone in my family are teachers. Maybe they'll have some advice. that. uh, Well, it doesn't just have to be family, though. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. It could be some people who you meet in Tampa. Just move there, or you just post on Facebook. How about that? You post on Facebook, hey, start a mastermind, want to keep it to about five people. If you're focused on accomplishing business objectives, shoot me a a message and I'll let you know the format I'm thinking of. No cost, but I do want everyone to be held accountable for attending at least one call every month. What about that? I mean, and then, and then the people who are action oriented will attend and those people are more likely to be successful versus the people who ah, nah, just go back on Instagram and look at this workout video or whatever they do. Yeah. We've got a little, it's called next door where it's like a, yeah. You know what your next door is? Yeah. So I, 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 could just, I could just post on there because we actually have one for our, our little neighborhood. Because, I mean, it is so important to be surrounded by people that are doing what you're doing. It's obvious. Everyone knows that. But it's just it's so important. I think moving to a new town is difficult because you got to meet new people and kind of start over. Obviously, it's easier with the internet because you can do it through Skype, on the phone, things like that. But, no, I think that's a good idea. I think I'm going to post something on the next door right when we got the phone and just mention exactly what you said. So we can start holding each other accountable for our business goals. And so I can kind of learn the Tampa market a little bit more too, to see if I want to start investing down here. And you're you're referring to Nextdoor app in case anyone listening is wondering about that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure they have it everywhere. It's really, it's a really good tool. Sweet. What about you? What's going on? As I mentioned, I think about maybe a month or two ago, we planned on raising the rents at my three, four unit buildings in Cincinnati. So it's, coming around that time right now. And so I had a planning session with my property management company. We created kind of a spreadsheet breakdown of how we plan on increasing the rents over time. 
We actually had some pretty good news the other day because there was one unit out of all 12. It wasn't a resident issue. It was just the, he had been there for a long time and the unit was in pretty bad shape and it was affecting the common areas in that building. And we were uncomfortable evicting the resident just because of his, his personal situation. And he kind of had a, a little emotional connection when we talked to him and we just couldn't bring ourselves to kick him out. But he actually ended up deciding to move out himself. He's actually going to go to an old person's home, basically. And thankfully he did that because now we can go in there, fix his unit up, and now we can finally fix the common area because the common area is pretty gross. And that will be very helpful in one. Why, you know, why couldn't you fix the common area with him living in his unit? Because I think the reason why it was gross was because of him. Like the pressure that he had smoked in the unit for a okay. very, very long time. And it was seeping out through his door into the common area. Okay, I get and it. it. And if he was going to continue to smoke in there, we didn't want to fix yeah. anything. But now we can use that as number one, a selling point to increase rent for the other units. But also now that he's gone, we can fix that unit up and get a new renter in there. And when they walk in, they're not going to see smoke on the walls and really disgusting carpet in the common area. So, what was, what was he renting it for? And what will you rent it for after you fix it up? And how much will it cost to fix it up? He was renting it for five eighty, uh-huh. one bedroom. Yep. It'll probably cost five hundred bucks to a thousand bucks to fix okay. up. Uh, we got to paint. Are you sure about that? That's cheap. Let's just say two grand, twenty five hundred okay. bucks. I haven't seen the unit yet. We basically talked about what we're going to do. We're going to paint the walls. We're going to pull up the carpet and use the hardwood, okay. and we're going to replace the ceiling fans, and then we're going to clean it. Okay. That's, that's about it. All right. So whatever that costs is how much it's going to cost. Uh-huh. And we're going to rent it for 700 700 So $120 increase. That's great. So you'll be making basically if you spend two hundred more. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, fourteen forty. And if you spend 2000 or if you invest 2000 in the unit, then you're getting most of your money back in one year. Yeah, we're going to start at 700 for when we're raising rents in other one-bedrooms. So right now, obviously, I think we're going to get 700 but if we raise the rents on the other units to 700 and they accept it really fast, then we might try 715 725 mm-hmm. on the other units. So it kind of all depends. We've been studying that specific street in the market, and for some reason, we don't really know why, but people have not been listing one-bedroom units for over 700 whereas in other streets in the same market, they're getting them for 750 800 And it could just be the landlords have been there for a while and the units are really crappy. We don't really know, but... We're going to do a trial and error. And so we've got 12 units to kind of mess around with. And so we're really excited about that. And yeah, hopefully it's two grand or less to fix that unit up. Um, if it's more, it kind of is what it is. And, and I'll learn how to more accurately calculate turnover costs. Cool. Sounds good. And then I guess, secondly, we're very, very close to being able to buy our next property in uh, Cincinnati. But we didn't realize, obviously, if you move into a new house, you're going to have to to furnish it. And so we didn't expect it to cost that much, but it's, it's going to cost a lot to furnish this house. So once we get that expense out of the way, because we're not going to put it on credit cards or anything, we're going to pay for it. But once my wife gets her bonus here in March, we'll be able to find the property. And so we're really excited about that. And the goal this year is to get 24 more units. And based off of the, the cash flow we're making on these properties per month, um, I don't see us having an issue reaching that number. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, as you get closer and once you start looking for deals, we'd love to hear how you're looking for them, what's working, what's not working, that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Sweet. All right. A couple of housekeeping items. 
We're heading to the Best Cover Conference here in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Or if you're listening to it on Friday, as you said, you'd be there right now listening to some great speakers. Yeah, got the conference. Looking forward to seeing everyone there and going to have a great time. And then, as we mentioned in the last week's show, we're starting to ask questions in the Best Ever community. So you can go to that, www.besteverecommunity.com. And if you respond to that question, you have the opportunity to be featured in a weekly blog post. So this week's question, and the polling will end here today, so make sure you submit that if you're listening right now on Tuesday today. The question is, if you were starting real estate investing all over again, what would be your first purchase? And I know for me, my answer would be, instead of buying a duplex, I would have bought a fourplex, just because it's kind of the same amount of work, but for double the doors. So yeah, make sure you answer that question, submit it at the bestevershowcommunity.com. And you will be featured in a blog post we'll be writing here in the next couple of days. Cool. And yeah, when you go to Best Ever Show Community, is that what it is? Best Ever Show Community? When you just go to bestevercommunity.com, it'll redirect you to the Facebook group. That's what that whole thing does. Cool. And then finally, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a review for the opportunity to be the review of the week. This week, we have a review by Newbie again. And they said, great daily show. Joe does a great job with his Q&A. Always tries to simplify it so that everyone can understand. Hard to believe that he brings this content and quality every day. Thank you. One clarification point. I simplify it because I have to for my mind. (laughs) I am a simple-minded person, so that's why I simplify it. But I appreciate the compliment on the show. Really grateful for that. And as I usually say, For everyone who is listening, it would be helpful for the show and our community if you did a review because then more people see it, join the community. It's a more vibrant community as well as it helps attract the best guests that we can get to learn from. So enjoyed our conversation, Theo, and best ever listeners. Grateful that you're hanging out with us today. I hope you have a best ever week and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan and conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.